Hello and welcome to the RBC Ross Trevor Campus Sermon Podcast. Our mission here is loving God, loving people and seeing lives change. At RBC, our heart is to build a Jesus-centered community, to see lives changed in multiple languages and locations. We hope you enjoyed this message from one of our weekend services. To find out more about us, please visit our website, rbc.org.au. Good morning, everyone. My name is Austin, and I'm one of the youth here at RBC, and also um, a kids' men leader in um, Illuminate. I've been asked to read uh, from Ephesians 2, verses 11 to 22. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. He who has destroyed the two groups, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached, pre- preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Thank you, Austin. Let's give it up for Austin. And uh, may uh, may God bless uh, the reading of his word uh, to us uh, today. Hey, what a great setup uh, for uh, for today and for our passage uh, in uh, Ephesians. Uh, the only other you know kind of uh, illustration I can think of that reminds me of the type of. Um, uh, different colours that we've split up and, uh, and done here today and the, the hostility that was in the room and the division that was in the room is sports days. Uh, you know, it's sports day season in school. You know, you've probably seen it on Facebook, you've seen it all over and uh, I remember sports day, maybe you can cast your mind back to sports day but I remember uh, one thing with sports day is that it was one of those things that just had this way of causing uh, everyone to become so tribal. You know, you know what I'm talking about? As soon as in the morning, once someone, you know, put on your yellow T-shirt, right? Yay, yellow. They're now everywhere. But you put on your yellow T-shirt or you'd get the red zinc and put it on your face, over your cheeks, or you put the ribbon in your hair. Things automatically just changed, didn't they? This is whether or not this is your local, in, you know, your local school sports or you're competing more nationally. Things changed immediately. You, we went from beginning to cheer. Uh, for, we started to cheer for our team to looking at everybody else in other colours as the rival. Even if half an hour beforehand they were our best mate in class. You know, this is just what happens with uh, sports days. Now, for most part, just a little bit like today, 
Uh, and it's all fun, right? It's, sports days are, are fun and that kind of tribalism is one day and then it's kind of shelved and, and that's it and for, another, you know, for another year. But here's the thing, um, this might be a bit of fun on sports day, uh, but sports tribalism, this type of sports tribalism shows itself up in other areas of life too, doesn't it? Where things are a whole lot more serious. One of the main problems in our world today, I believe, is this. It's an ever-increasing polarisation and the glaring inability for people to get along with people who are different to us. And this is a big problem that we're seeing around, and you've noticed this. I don't, need to, I don't need to share this with you. You know this. You experience it in work. You experience it in your family. You experience it at, at church. We experience it wherever it is that we go. Our world is filled with conflict, disunity, tension, alienation. We see it on a global scale, but we also see it, as I said, around tables at home and in workplaces. We put up walls between cultures, religions, nations, genders, social and economic classes classes, denominations, schools, community and teams and families and you know what these walls say? They clearly tell us who is in, who is out, who is accepted, who is rejected, who we cheer for and who our rivals are. This us and them mentality affects and permeates all of our society. We are so good at a society of building walls, not tables, of building of building fences and not bridges. We have this way of dividing the world into two groups, people who are like us and people who aren't. And if we don't like or agree with someone, what do we do? We just cancel them. If we don't like or agree with someone, we unfollow them or we block them if we're on social media. Interestingly, this week I, I read something uh, fascinating, or li- listened, sorry, to something fascinating about this, and it said that when we divide people into those who are in and those who are out, we actually uh, begin to cut off emotionally and psychologically from those in the out group. In other words, we take our limited empathy and we give it to those who are like us or those who are in the in group, and here's what happens. We stop showing compassion and care and love to those in the out group. Now, of course, as we've looked at today, this kind of tribalism isn't just out there in the world, is it? But it's also in, it's in the church. We, the church, we experience this as well. It's part of the challenge that we face. We have, all, we have certain differences that we use to divide and to separate us, and Mike's kind of shared some of this today, but we divide on worship styles, theological positions, ministries we like, leaders we prefer, you know, and just a whole lot more. These things become dividing walls. And so instead of living as the, the family of God, instead of living uh, as one, we live with uh, hostility, uh, tension and divisions that all can begin to emerge. Now here's the thing, none of this uh, is new. None of this is, uh, is new to our world and none of this is new uh, for the church. In fact, this very thing was happening in the first uh, century and we actually read about it when we looked at Ephesians just a moment ago from Ephesians 2, 11, 22. So if you've got your Bibles, I encourage you to uh, open them up and uh, you've got a pen and paper, I encourage you, you know, it's a good thing that we take notes as we listen and we engage. 
but uh, we're in Ephesians 11, chapter 22, uh, 2, verses 11 to 22, because, see, at the time that Ephesians was written, there was a significant uh, social, racial, and religious hostility that existed, and it existed between two groups of people, the Jewish people and the Gentiles. And so here in this passage, we see Paul addressing this deep-seated conflict, and he shows us how the gospel ends hostility for, for that hostility, and how it also is to end hostility today and in relationships today. And so we're going to pick it up in verse 11 is where we're going to start because this verse helps us to see the seriousness of the hostility and it helps us to provide some context uh, for uh, much of uh, what is behind a lot of hostility uh, today. So we'll, we'll have a read of this. So it says this, Paul says, you know, therefore, this is all after the, you know, the wonderful passage we looked at last week where Ian spoke about how we're alive in Christ by the grace and the mercy of God. He says, therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. So we'll just stop there for a moment because in the Jewish religion there was two types of people. There was the, there was the Jews and then you're either a Jew or you're a Gentile. And one of the main ways that uh, you were identified or the identity marker, if you were a Jew, was that of circumcisions, along with a few others, like some of the purity laws. But this was a key one, was around circumcision. It was a special sign that was given by God to say that you were part of my chosen people. Um, you see, the Jews, here's the thing, the Jews were chosen by God, and this is what they were chosen for. They were chosen to be a blessing to the nations and a light to the Gentiles. That was their calling. But along the way, they lost their way. Something went wrong, and rather than living up to their calling to be a blessing to the nations and a light to the Gentiles, they began to look down on the Gentiles and to despise them. The Gentiles didn't really like the Jews either, and so what happened was an ugly tribalism and hostility developed. So when Paul writes in this passage and this verse, um, and he says that the Jews were called the uncircum that um, that the Gentiles were called the uncircumcised, we need to see this as a derogatory term. This wasn't just some kind of innocent, uh, name harmless name calling. This was an intentional. Um, name in order to hurt and to divide. And it reflects the disdain and hostility that had grown in their heart towards the Gentile. Here's another example. Um, in the temple at the time, uh, and in the areas around the temple, there were uh, different places that only certain people could go. There was a place that uh, women uh, were allowed to go and no further. There were places that priests could go and other people weren't allowed to. And around the whole temple precinct uh, was a wall. Uh, and it was only a short one, but Gentiles weren't allowed to go uh, past it. They weren't allowed to draw near to the temple to be able to worship God with the Jews. And some recent archaeological digs actually found uh, a certain component of this wall, and I've got a picture of it uh, here, and this is what the, the inscription says. It says this, No foreigner or no Gentile may enter within the barrier and exclosure round the temple. Anyone who is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. Uh, this, is a, this was a serious hostility, and that's what I'm wanting us just to see today. So what was it that caused this hostility? Well, we're told in verse 14 and 15 that it was the, the law of Moses. It was the law. The law became the dividing wall of hostility. 
Now, it's important that we remember something here. That is that the law uh, was not a bad thing. All right? Really important that we remember. The law was not a bad thing. The law was good. It was given by God. It was a spiritual thing. It was given by God to Israel so that they could know God and be devoted to him. But the law and their devotion to it, although it was a good thing, became a thing of pride for the Jews and caused them to despise the Gentiles because they were different to them, because they were unclean and immoral. See, this helps us just to understand some of the challenges that are often behind hostility, and that is that the problem with the sinful human heart, this is, for, this is back in the day, and this is for you and I today, the problem with the sinful human heart is that we devalue those who are different to us, and this results in hostility and division. Uh, Tim Callis, speaking on this passage, says this, he says, it's the good things, it's the strengths that we have that tend to divide us. Our sinful hearts are ordered so that our strengths become the dividing wall of hostility. He goes on and says, why? And have a listen to this. He says this, because our identity operates comparatively through superiority to the different. I'll just say that again. Because our identity operates comparatively through superiority to the different. Simply, what he's saying is this, we feel good about ourselves by looking down on others. We feel good about ourselves by looking down on others. This is how we derive much of our identity and our sense of worth. Instead of saying, oh, we are different, we're red, we're yellow, we say, oh, we are better. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity, he says the same thing. He says this, he says, we say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good-looking, but they're not. They are proud of being richer, cleverer or better-looking than others. If someone else became equally rich or clever or good-looking, there would be nothing to be proud about. You see, the sinful human heart is prone to taking the best things and becoming so proud of them that we use them to boost our sense of worth, our esteem and our identity. And as a result, we devalue others who are different to us because we think that we are better. This is not pretty behaviour, is it? This is not behaviour that is becoming of our followers of Jesus. This is not God's design or ideal for us. But I wonder, if we're honest, do you see this playing out in your life? If you're honest, really honest, do we see this playing out in our lives? Are we devaluing people or groups of people who are different to us because we think in some way that we are superior to them? It's an important question for us to ask as we look at this part of Ephesians. Paul goes on, verse 12, and he says, Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. So speaking to the Gentiles here, Paul says this, Hey, remember, there was not only hostility between you and the Jews at one time, but there was also separation between you and God. Have a listen to the list. He says um, they were separate, excluded, foreigners, without hope and without God. This paints a pretty bleak picture of their position before Jesus. And of course, this isn't something that is just true of the Gentiles in the first century, but this is also true for you and I today. This is our story too, for those of us who follow Jesus. At one time, before coming to know Jesus, we were separate excluded, without hope and without opportunity to know God. 
It's important that we remember this part of our story. And why? It's not so that we can wallow in it, but it's because when we remember how desperate our situation was before Christ, we'll continue to realise how amazing his grace is. This is what Paul wants uh, the, the first century listeners and readers to, to hear and to, and to know. And so Paul goes on here, and you see, he doesn't want them just to be reminded of their separation, but he goes on and he tells us the glorious good news that in Christ, we who are far off have now been brought near to him. Have a look at verse 13. But now, probably two of the most beautiful words, isn't it, in all, in all of Scripture, but now, it signifies a change. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. He has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its command and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Once separated, but now reconciled through the cross of Jesus Christ. Separated, but now reconciled. Once far, but now close to God and to Israel. How does this happen? Well, it wasn't achieved, as we know, that we can read here through some kind of amazing diplomacy. It was achieved in the person of Jesus and his work on the cross. You see, one of the central messages of the cross that is often overlooked because of the more popular images and what we imagine the cross did is that the cross is actually means the cross actually means the end to hostility it means the end of hostility the cross is more than just forgiveness of sins more than just freedom from slavery it is an end to hostility paul tells us that it was the end of hostility for the jews and the gentiles and how was it how did it work back then and what does this teach us about how it works today well back then it was because it meant that neither side had anything to boast about when it comes to God. Neither side, the Jews or the Gentiles, had nothing to boast about when it comes to God. You see, the Gentiles have nothing to boast about, as we saw in verse 11 and 12. Separate, excluded, without hope, without God. And despite Israel being chosen by God to be a blessing to the nations and a light to the Gentiles and having the law, Paul makes it clear that they too are equally lost and that they have nothing to boast about either. Look at verse 15 and 16. And in one body to reconcile who? Both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. So Paul here insists that Jews and Gentiles are both lost and in need of reconciling to God. And so the cross of Jesus tells us that no matter who you are, you are not better than anyone else. The cross is the end of any thought that we are more superior or more deserving than anyone else. In Jesus, we all sit at the t same table. The cross is a great leveller for us all. Why? Because we've all been saved by God's amazing grace and mercy. 
Nothing that we can do, nothing that we can done, that we've we've done. The natural response to the cross that has ended the hostility between us and God, between Jews, between Jews and Gentiles, should be too that it actually ends hostility between us and others too. And so in our own conflicts and hostility, this is what we need to remember. We need to remember that there is always something greater than the hostility, and that is our own reconciliation and our own forgiveness with God in Jesus. And so the cross of Jesus makes all the difference in getting along with people who are different to us. You see, if you look at any group of people that you dislike or, or hurt you, if you look over and go, I don't like red, I don't like blue here, and you actually think about what Jesus has done for you, you know what it does? It begins to kill the hostility in us, begins to kill the hostility in our heart towards the other. And if it doesn't, then we probably have to ask the question, have we really understood the gospel of Jesus at all? Maybe we aren't really sure what an impact it is actually having in our lives. And so a few questions, a few challenging questions just to ask you. Have you received the cross that forgives you while we're rejecting the cross that ends hostility? Or perhaps another way to ask this is this. Where have you wanted grace for yourself but justice for someone else? Not a, these are challenging questions, I appreciate that. But this is important for our discipleship. And this year we've said we want to get back to some of the basics and that is about being people who make peace and who seek to reconcile. This is the basics of our, of our faith. Or maybe another question, is there any place that you are escalating hostility? Is it in your home? Is it at, is it at work? Is it in your family, in extended family? You know, being those who have received the reconciliation, the peace of God through Jesus on the cross, we are then called to extend that same reconciliation and peace towards others and end hostility. There's another wonderful outcome of the cross too that Paul goes on to talk about now. And he says it's not just the end of hostility, but that the cross creates a new unified humanity. And this is great news. Verse 15, have a look what Jesus' purpose was. He said his purpose on the cross as he ended hostility was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. Notice that in Jesus, Gentiles aren't made Jewish or Jewish people aren't made Gentiles. Rather, we are all formed into one new creation in Jesus. See, you don't have to become an Israelite to come to God. You just have to come to Jesus. And this is good news for, for all of us today. We, have, we can have, and if we follow Jesus, we have a new identity that is in Christ. And this identity is to be our primary identity. This doesn't mean the end of cultural distinctions. What it means rather is the beginning of a higher purpose and a new identity that is found in Christ. This is your new identity. If you put your trust in Jesus, if you've received the cross, this is our new identity. And here's the wonderful thing about this. It is not an identity that is achieved. 
It is an identity that we have received because of Jesus. And that is good news for us. Another reason why is because it's not something then that we have to keep achieving in order to have. It's something that God has given to us. It's all because of him. And that is good news for us. We don't have to keep trying to strive in order to achieve and to have this identity. And have a look at how... This all plays out in the remaining verses and this is really where we want to kind of come today because this is what Paul speaks about now in the little exercise that we did earlier on today. This is why this is so important. Have a look how it plays out in verse 19. Consequently, or other translations say, so then, after everything that we've just looked at, uh, so then, you are now no longer foreigners and strangers, but your fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him... You too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. This, this is a beautiful passage of, of scripture. Here Paul paints for us three of the most beautiful pictures of the church. He gives us three images of the church or three spiritual realities of the church. And here they are here, they're highlighted in red. The first one is this, that we are citizens. We are citizens of God's kingdom. Our primary identity is not what's on our passport. It's not the family name that's on our birth certificate. It's not our preferred political party. We are citizens of heaven now. Paul speaks about this in Philippians 3.20. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven. And in as citizens of, of heaven, we're not second-class citizens. We all have equal rights and privileges to God's kingdom. And in week one, Ellie spoke about all of the blessings that we have as being part of the, being a citizen of heaven. So we are citizens of heaven. Now, if that's not good enough for you, look how closer it gets. Paul starts to say, hey, let's, let's make this more intimate. Let's get closer here. I want you to see how good this is. He speaks about us belonging to God's household and being part of a family. He says, um, basically, that we are not called to be like family. We are family. God is our father. Jesus is our brother. And each of us here are siblings together in the one multi-ethnic family. In the body of Christ, all cultural and ethnic divisions are abolished. We are one in Christ and part of his multi-ethnic family. We all have a seat at God's table and can enjoy him. And then he gets even more intimate. He then makes it even more close, the relationship, and he says that not only are you citizens, not only are you part of a family, but you know what? The Holy Spirit dwells in you individually and collectively as a church. You are the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. You see, to many, the church is just a building. To others, it's just a, an institution or just another social club. But Paul says here that the church is the people. We are the church. And God, get this, God has chosen to make his home in us. This is incredible. God has chosen to make his home in us. We may be a diverse bunch of ordinary people, but because of the cross of Jesus, we are part of a beautiful and supernatural community where we are one with God and one with one another. 
Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that we are citizens of heaven, that we are members of the household, that we are the dwelling of God, I don't know about you, but this feels like good news to me. This feels like something that is, uh, I just think, boy, how, how good, how good news is this? I see the beauty and the wonder of the church. I see unity. I see peace, family, inclusion, and love. But if we are honest, if we're honest, this is not always the reality that we experience. It's not really the reality of what the world sees when they look in at the church, is it? You see, we don't always look like the good news to the world. We don't always look like this to the world. When the world looks at the church, sadly, they often see division, disunity, exclusion and hostility. But church, here's the thing. We are called to be light. We are called to be a city on a hill. We are called to be light to the community around us. We are called to be a blessing to the nations and a light to the community around us. So how can we, how can we do this? Because here's the thing, in the first three chapters of, of Ephesians, Paul doesn't really land us anywhere. He doesn't really say, here's what you need to do. That comes and we're going to look at that after Easter. He's just giving some real big picture stuff for us. But I want to just try to land some of this just quickly for us today. And here's a few practical ways. Firstly, intentionally make room and share your life with others. We've said it, and I said this at the start of this year, we need to open our lives, make room for people, live with less inner circles and more open circles. You know, part of crossing the room today was all about that. And in the group that I was part of, people got to meet people they hadn't met before. It's wonderful. We want to see that. We need that. Our world needs that. We need this. So make room around your table for others. And in a world of hostility, we need to practice hospitality. More than, more than ever, our world needs hospitality. We need to hear the voices of others. We need to learn from other people. And we need to learn from other people and hear other people who are different to us. You see, it's all too easy to stick with people you know and who are like you. So be intentional about inviting people of different backgrounds, different ethnic backgrounds around to your home, going out for lunch or dinner. Invite people around who are different socioeconomic backgrounds to you or different families uh, to you. We need different life stages to you. Just invite people around, get to know people who are different and who we don't even know. You know, on Sundays, how do we, how do, we do it here? How can we make sure that we are a welcoming community. You know, one of the loneliest places at times is out in the foyer on a Sunday if you're new here, or even if you're not, and there's people milling around and you're by yourself and no one's engaged with you. Let us be a, a community that reaches out and that looks out for those who might be new among us. So make room. Let's be intentional about making room, being hospitable. The other one today, just to close, is this. Pursue peace in God's family, don't escalate it. Pursue peace in God's family, don't escalate it. We are a diverse community, right? We have people who are old and people who are young. 
people who are truckies and people who are doctors. We have people from China and people from Kenya, people who voted Labor and people who voted Liberal. We have people with kids and people without, people who like older songs, people who like newer songs. We have people who like the crows and people who barrack for port. We have Enneagram 1s, we have Enneagram 9s, we like those who like lattes or those like me who like long blacks. We have people who hold different views on creation or predestination. We have people who are mature in their faith and people just learning their faith. We are diverse. And here's the thing, right? With all of those differences, you might think, my goodness, what a perfect recipe for chaos. What a recipe for hostility. What a a recipe for, for conflict. We are ripe for all of that. We could think that. Paul wouldn't want us to do that, though. You see, Paul would actually prefer us to to think and go, well, because of the cross of Jesus and because he has ended hostility, we actually have everything that we need, every resource, every power that we need through him to be one with one another. That's what Paul is wanting to say. We have everything that we need, every power and resource through the Holy Spirit to be at one with one another another, to live at peace with each other, to be a light to the community and to grasp the opportunity to display the fullness of God's kingdom. And church, here's the thing. We live at a time when people are quick to write off the church. I don't need to tell you this. You hear it, you see it in the media. People want to write off the church. A time when people think that the church is not only outdated, backwards and bigoted, but that it's actually dangerous. But here's the thing, I believe that what our world is really craving at the moment is the stuff that is actually meant to be our bread and butter. This stuff is the basics of of discipleship. This is what we are meant to be good at. This is what the Spirit of God is in us to allow us to, to do. This is our bread and butter. Welcome, inclusion, hospitality, acceptance, love, reconciliation and peace. Here's the thing, the greatest witness to the love of Jesus that this world will see is a group of people that despite their differences live at peace with one another and love deeply. Let the world see that in us. That is inspiring. That is compelling. Would you stand with me today? We're going to, going to come and close and pray. But just before I do, what I want to do is just give you just a moment. Just to think, just to think, to take a time just to, to assess and think, what's one thing that God's been saying to you today? Maybe it was from a little exercise and the time of worship that we had earlier today. Maybe it was something from that. Maybe it was something around our, our pride and our... Uh, wanting to be superior or devaluing those who are different to us. Maybe God was, is touching something like that in your heart. Maybe it's just around being more open and living with more open circles. What is it today? What's God saying? Just take a moment. Just one thing. I'm not looking for three things. Just one thing that you think God might be saying to you today. And then I want you to think about what are you going to do about it? 
What's the one thing God's saying and what are you going to do about it? Because the most important thing with being a disciple of Jesus is not just to hear something from God and to hear his voice. It's about living it out and doing something with it. So what is God saying? And what are you going to do about it? Heavenly Father, we come before you today and we thank you for the cross of Jesus. We thank you that the cross of Jesus ends hostility. And Lord, we thank you that there is something greater than hostility and that is our own forgiveness, our own reconciliation with you. Jesus, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that you have made us alive. You have welcomed us into a new humanity, a new a new family. And Lord, we thank you that we are citizens of your kingdom. We thank you that we are members of your household. And Lord, we thank you that we are a dwelling of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that we would live these truths out in our lives. I pray that we would live as with those realities deep in our heart, that we would live open with others, that we would be those who pursue peace, not escalate hostility. Lord, today we've, we've all had just a moment to think through what are you saying to us. Lord, I pray that we would continue to hear from you. Lord, it's my prayer that you would give each of us the courage to live out what it is that you are saying to us today. We want to be a people who not only hears, we want to be those who do. And so, Lord, however it is that you are speaking to us today, wherever it is that you are putting your finger, wherever it is that you are challenging us today, Lord, I pray that we would respond with courage and that we would put into play and action what it is that you are speaking to us about. But Lord, we are just so grateful to be part of your family. We are so thankful that we that you unite us together, that you, through your spirit, bring people who are so different and diverse together. What a supernatural thing. And Lord, we want to continue just to look to you, continue to receive from your spirit all that we need so that we can love others deeply, we pray. And so we give you all the glory and all the praise today. Well, let's finish today and we're going to worship. We're going to sing about the love and the passion of our Saviour that he has for us. So come on, let's sing together. Thanks for listening and we hope that you enjoyed this podcast. If this message has impacted you in some way, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us through The Hub online at thehub.rbc.org.au or through our social media links in the show notes. See you next time.